Welcome to the CEO.Digital Show. My name's Craig McCartney. And I'm Darcy Thompson-Fields. And this is an open exploration of technologies and trends straight from the C-suite. You'll hear insights that will help you better deliver results for your company and its stakeholders now and in the future. You can find out more and stay up to date at ceo.digital. For this section, we speak with Jodie Meter-Hamilton. She's the Strategy and Communications Director of Fashion Roundtable and founder of Black Neon Digital and Project 2030. Jodie has worked across communications and marketing for the best part of a decade, helping fashion technology startups to connect with their audience in a meaningful way. In this conversation with Jodie, we explore her need to push forward the conversation around sustainability and innovation in fashion, particularly through her Project 2030 brand, a not-for-profit initiative which is bringing people together to create a garment traffic light system. So welcome to the CEO.Digital show, Jodie. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself before we get started? Of course. Thanks for having me, Craig. I mean, where do you want me to start? But essentially, I graduated fashion in 2001 from Kingston University in London, and I've worked in fashion in some guise for the past 20-odd years across marketing, branding, comms, PR, retail, and for the past eight years, more around tech and innovation in tech, but for fashion firms. I've also founded my own Made in the UK swimwear brand. I work with various clients as well through Other Day, which is a sustainability and communications consultancy, including one client we have, which is called Fashion Roundtable, which I'm also a partner of that business. And we, over there, we sort of sit between parliamentarians and the fashion industry and try and broker conversations that predominantly lead to systemic change through policy as a tool, using policy as a tool. And then I work with other clients on a smaller sort of basis who tend to be, I'm kind of good at going in at the founder level and helping them grow their teams. That's my, seems to be my area of passion and expertise. Because I find when teams get a bit larger, I lose a bit of momentum and I feel a little bit perhaps efficiencies aren't there that I'd like to see. So yeah, I tend to move on. And yeah, like I said, I've had my own swimwear brand and kind of launched that in around 2008-9 after coming back from an overseas position in Mauritius, which was head of design sampling for a factory out there. So really saw firsthand, literally firsthand supply chains and kind of how people work within that and manufacturing and how decision making from a CEO level or from a buying team can really affect people's lives to be honest and affect their daily lives and if they get paid or if they don't or that sort of thing so yeah quite a broad and varied rolling career I would say and more of late like I said I launched Other Day in 2017 which actually initially was to explore sustainability in fashion and see who the current players were at that time and kind of really get as much knowledge as I could around sustainability and our platforms help to basically share that knowledge outside to industry and help them to navigate certain difficulties or bottlenecks or try and invigorate some sort of new thought within the industry as well 
And then we recently, about I'd say probably about two, three years ago now, started working on Lab 2030, which is the initial idea with that was to create a traffic light system similar to the food industry has, but for clothing. So you'd literally know what you're buying, but it's incredibly hard to do that as we're still three years on. And the idea with that was to try and get it legislated which still might happen, but let's see. That's become more of a a data and research-driven lab, I would say, that we're working on there. Currently seeking funding, if anyone wants to join us on there. (laughs) Yeah. Great. Well, thank you very much, Jody. So you've touched on a few times the theme of this show is around sustainability, and obviously we're going to dive into that in a, a bit more detail. But what does sustainability mean to you? Someone asked me that a couple of weeks ago, and I said, sustainability is something that you aim towards, and responsibility is something that you do. And for me, that sums up what I feel sustainability is. It's quite passive, actually. And there's more talk in the industry about regenerative, which is obviously around restoring or restorative practices. So it's not only taking and trying to maintain that take, it's essentially giving back. So I think for me, if we look at a chart of depleting to sustaining to restoring, that's kind of the trajectory that we need to go. And in terms of some of those projects that you're working on at the moment, is anything really exciting that you you wanted to share or talk about? I think what through Lab 2030, what I'm excited about is the fact that we are gathering really first-hand primary data and really talking to at the moment, particularly consumers around how they act rather than how they say they act. And I feel a lot of data gathering tends to focus on saying rather than doing. And ultimately, you know, it's quite easy to fill in a survey and say, yes, I would like to be more sustainable. But actually, when you're side by side with someone through their shopping journey, what's their thought process? What do they actually do? And often sustainability isn't a driver at that point. So what I'm excited about is being able to further that research and kind of feed that back to brands so that they can really not only hone their product and their brand, but also understand a better way that they can communicate to their consumers to nudge them towards more sustainable behavior, whether they want to or not kind of thing. Because actually, for me personally, I feel it's the producer's responsibility to take control of the sustainability conversation rather than leave it to the consumer. And at the moment, I feel the consumer is having to do a lot more legwork than is necessary. Yeah, there's a lot of pressure on us as consumers, especially if you are trying to do the right thing and be sustainable in your purchases and how you live your life. That's quite an interesting point, though, you make. So that data gathered across all those different supply chains that's going to be quite a hard task to ensure that that is all accurate. I'm sure that's one of the challenges that you're experiencing right now. What role does technology play in that sort of supply chain data gathering function? Massive. Yeah, huge. I mean, there's so many startups and actually more established businesses working to gather data and to look at supply chain as a whole rather than just elements to it so you know if you think about fashion we have fashion is either grown or it is man-made so it's either from a seed or in a lab and you can actually 
control and analyze things that are made in factories, obviously more than you can in a field. So what's difficult is we've got quite a lot of data around synthetic fabrics, but we don't have a lot of data around natural. So from cotton farming, for example, if you farmed in one region or one country to another, it's going to look quite different to, say, if you grew grapes in Kent and made beautiful rosé sparkling wine, it's going to be different to that which you'll get from France. So it's that you have to literally go to the field. And there's lots of people doing incredible work to gather that data. For example, one of our advisors to Lab 2030, Marcia, she has something called Cotton Diaries, and she works with an organization called Transformers Organization Foundation, sorry. And they work predominantly to gather this first-hand data from cotton fields and work with the directly with the farmers and all that sort of thing. It's a massive problem. And I think what we're realizing a lot at Lab 2030 is we were trying to get data to get a standardized baseline. That was the vision to be able to ultimately say, okay, well, this white cotton t-shirt has flown this many miles, or this is how much carbon footprint it has or something. But actually, it's so granular to get a correct answer that it's incredibly hard. So what we're conscious of, I don't really want to perpetuate bad data, do you know what I mean? And it, it becomes this can of massive rabbit warren, really, which we're trying to solve, but it's going to take a long time. Yeah, and hopefully technology can help with the gathering of that data, but I guess everyone has to buy into that technology and the data is only as good as the input of it. Exactly, yeah, exactly. And actually what I'm learning more and more is from a technology perspective, I'm working with tech companies and brands like building out their platforms. The game was always to create a standardised platform that you could scale and you could create a SaaS model and, and all that sort of stuff. And actually what I'm realizing with this is it's actually the exact opposite. Like you've got to somehow be able to maintain individual nodes of data and then pull them into like one mega system. So it's it's a lot more complicated. My approach initially, like I said, was standardization. And I just don't think that that's the way we need to go. Yeah, it needs to be more information direct driven around localities and yeah, kind of really specific stuff. Yeah. And what's the sort of help or if any, are you getting from the government at the moment? Zero. Okay. <laughs> I did have a conversation. The House of Lords are investigating something around innovation and the scope of innovation in the UK and how that research matches up to funding. So I have had a conversation with those a couple of months ago, and it's a difficult area because I feel any funding for innovation tends to be focused around producing a model based on growth. So scaling a business, making a, a big business, making money for the UK, bringing tax back to the UK, which is fine. But the industry that I work in, and particularly sustainability, is the current narrative is to work out how we can create models of business around degrowth. So <laughs> fundamentally, the two things don't match up. We're kind of at loggerheads around, well, I don't want to grow. I just want to be able to actually collect this data. Or, And then it's like, 
can't compute that. That's not a growth model business. And you're like, no, it's not. It's a scalable business. But actually, that particular business is a not-for-profit. So it's, yeah, it's a different world. We need fun, like a really serious review of funding and yeah. innovation and how we align that with, like the government have a lot of plans around the new Green Deal and things like this. So dots are not joining currently. Yeah, it's a bit short-sighted as well. Just think about the money as opposed to a sustainable future for us all. So I was going to say, do you think the government are doing enough around sustainability currently, especially in the you know, for businesses? Are, are they moving in the right direction? Or is this an issue, say, trying to build a business out of it? I think in parts, yes, and in parts, no. I think there's, like I've just said, there's a tension between two worlds. And that I feel that is across all worlds. So it's whether you're fashion or whether you're white goods or whatever it is, you know, I kind of feel like there's a pull between making money, scaling, paying people, you know, employees, and then also trying to move towards a greener, fairer future, which I don't know, that tension's a really hard one to work out when you've got such big business. But what I'm hopeful of is that some companies are setting quite ambitious climate targets, for example, and seem to have a roadmap to be able to achieve that. And then there are other really innovative companies coming out who from day one have been able to set their course very differently. So it's almost like you have the laggards and then you have the new innovators. And it's kind of how can you bridge the gap between two. And my personal thought on that is perhaps those who are more slow in their progress should reach out to the innovators and kind of broker some sort of deal whereby they can support each other in a mutual way to get them where they need to be, really, because they both have things that they both want. <laughs> so. Yeah, and your expertise are from the fashion world in terms of that world and the businesses within that, I know you, you've touched on it, you mentioned a few things. Are there any sort of innovators in the fashion world that are, are leading the way and setting the example for sustainable business? I think there's lots of different types of businesses within fashion. So you have your standard brands who make and produce clothes. There's a bit of a movement towards trying to create clothes through innovation as well. So whether that's recycling fibers or whether that's, I'm sure you've probably heard of a company called Pangaya who use different sort of innovative and biomaterials and all sorts of new dyeing ways and things like this to produce their collections. And actually their clothing itself is quite straightforward. You know, it's like hoodies and sweats and stuff like that. But what they're ultimately building themselves into is not just a clothing company, but a an innovation firm that can then sell the knowledge around these processes. And that's what's attractive to investors as well. And then there's other people doing stuff in the digital space, like I'm good friends with a company called the Institute of Digital Fashion. They're doing some incredible stuff, really innovative, really beautiful, like digital clothing for, you know, retail space. And I think that's something that's quite exciting, but also becoming more normal. And what I'm personally interested to see happen there is a really kind of in-depth look at what the impacts of working in the digital space are in terms of sustainability because although it's new and innovative and exciting it's like 
we need to understand the carbon footprint of that as well and not just all jump ship to that thinking it's the new emperor's clothes or whatever. So I'm excited to try and maybe even work with those guys on that, something we've talked about ages ago, which we've not pulled off yet. But <laughs> do stuff like that, you know, and understand that. And then there's other amazing people who there's a guy called Rahim Rahman and he does beautiful block printing and works with Bangladeshi hand block printing people and he's really innovative in a way because he's managed to bring back a lot of craft to traditional people who actually the skills were dying because of industry there and he also you know uses like zero waste techniques and so yeah I'm kind of hopeful I, I think there's so many different elements to fashion now it's not just clothing and also the ultimate thing for fashion is I think they want to be a tech platform as well so yeah it's no longer just about a garment it's how you sell it it's how you market it it's all the world around it yeah and the technology you're using to make it and also then to promote it you make an interesting points about the digital technologies because there is a you know there's definitely an impact on the carbon footprint you know the more cloud technology we use or all that software does take up power and all the knock-on effects we do need a better understanding i think of those exactly and even distribution like it might sound a really dry subject but i'm actually quite interested to understand how we could create say for example localized distribution centers between brands who have a common customer base and you can only really understand that if you will share data with each other. So I'm kind of data protection laws and rules aside, I'm like a huge advocate for actually sharing what we know about customers to create efficiencies, which is ultimately around efficiencies to have less carbon. So, yeah. And talking about those businesses, say, if we can focus on fashion, that's fine. Who is responsible for making decisions around sustainability? Where should those decisions come from in the business? You know, where in the C-suites should own it? And where are you seeing those decisions being made currently? I think traditionally they have been left to CSR teams as part of their wider remit to produce, you know, reports and report back to board level and that sort of thing if the company is big enough to have a board or be listed or anything. But what I feel is happening more now is that we're getting to a place where we would have a dedicated person potentially at C-suite that can kind of oversee everything. Like that would be my hope, like chief sustainability officer, brilliant. And then they can really be responsible for looking at all the practices across the board from equality and diversity to carbon emissions through their door-to-door services or anything. And that can be their absolute role. And I think it does have to be at C-suite. I think that responsibility should come under directorship as well. You know, if you're a director of business, you have to be aware of these things. And it's it's kind of not good enough anymore to hide behind the CSR team, to be honest, and push them out to speak as well, which is quite a common thing that I see. It's kind of like, we don't know about sustainability. You go, you go and speak to the press or whatever, or the comms team will speak to the press about sustainable practices and it's like well actually c-suite need to be clued up this is the biggest thing that's going to happen to us in our lifetime interesting there are definitely those chief sustainability officer titles popping up more and more especially over the last 12 months been acceleration of them so are we doing enough though 
are we doing enough right now? What more could be done again? We could focus on fashion. Do you think those businesses are doing enough currently? I think back to the point about the tension of business, trying to create a more sustainable business is really difficult because we've also had uh, a pandemic and we've had COVID and we've got supply chain issues. So plain devil's advocate a little bit, I feel badly for the brands who have had their shop shut, who've got inventory sat there, who have staff that are dying to get back in and sell. And like, particularly in retail, for example, a lot of people love working in retail. It can be a really fulfilling job. Sometimes it's not, you know, it can be long hours and you just want to not work on a Saturday. But a lot of times it is fulfilling. And to not be physically in an environment and be sat at home or whatever is difficult. And what I'm concerned about is the fact that we it's almost like we've got this perfect storm of COVID, supply chain issues because of COVID and the pandemic and Brexit as well. Let's not forget about Brexit. And then we're trying to be sustainable as well. It's kind of, is it too much to ask all at once for us to recover from three things, really? But <laughs> there is no choice. We have to. And I think COVID's given us an opportunity to really address our working practices and hone in on what we really care about and try and work towards those with more energy than we ever have before. Because if we don't do it now, when are we going to do it? That's a big triple whammy <laughs> there, isn't it? The <laughs> Brexit, yeah. pandemic, sustainability. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, a big job. And from your point, Jody, in terms of sustainability, how do you feel technology could influence it in a, a positive way? Do you have any thoughts on that? Definitely. I mean, the innovation piece is interesting. And like I said, the different ways of working in terms of presenting sampling or collections, digital showrooms, that kind of thing. But also I think you know, when I think about sustainability, and part of the reason I love it is it, it's around efficiency gains as well. And if technology can help us with anything, surely it's efficiency and understanding patterns of work or flows of work or production lines, or can it support made to order in a better way? Or if we think about people purchasing online, and then that information gets fed straight back to a factory, or we should be able to control the flows of production a lot easier. I mean, that's a really basic example, but surely there's an opportunity for technology to help us and innovation to support. I mean, I'm particularly an advocate of innovation to support human connection and what that looks like and how we can create physical and offline and digital kind of experiences with each other that don't necessarily revolve around product. Yeah, we are speaking to a lot of people around technology at the moment. And the focus is a bit more around tech and what tech's doing to improve supply chain and those sorts of things. But again, it's quite a, a tricky one because you don't, from the source through to the end user, there's so many different factors, aren't there? One of the examples that a person shared with me the other day was, you know, these peaches were being made in South America. They were then being transported to Asia and then they'll be sent then back to North America for distribution. And it was still cheaper for that company to package and send their, their peaches across oceans. It was cheaper to do it there than, you know, in their own country. Yeah. And I think stuff like that needs to be that needs to be looked at because that surely is not the right way forward. A hundred percent. I mean, that's across every industry from 
microchips for cars to buttons to zips to steel. I mean, I don't know if you read that Bill Gates thing about steel, but I'll send you a link to that. But it, it was fascinating, like the steel industry. And it just made me really think, should I move all my efforts in fashion towards making like more sustainable steel? You know, it's kind of that as well. It's looking at the areas that you can be most impactful in. And I think that's also where technology can help us because then you can build up a, a data picture of the scale of the problem, if you want to call it the problem, and look at the impact and where your focus should really be. So mm. sometimes you might be working on an area and really it's not producing the kind of scale of impact that you want to have and you need to readdress that. It could be something really simple like removal internal packaging from a product that you've already put in a plastic box. Do you know what I mean? Something like that, but it, it's scalable. And I think technology can definitely help with understanding where we need to look and focus on. Yeah, it's one of those things we did touch on it earlier. I mean, as a consumer, what recommendations do you have for people who are wanting to be more sustainable? Because I feel guilty sometimes about my lack of understanding around my carbon footprint. I don't know if there's an app that I can get where I can work out my carbon footprint based on my, my day-to-day activities. But, you know, my girlfriend and I were saying, we, you feel bad because we're the ones who are made to feel bad about not being sustainable, but there is the sort of government, the business, the consumer approach where we should all be working towards a common goal. But what, what is your advice for people who are wanting to be more sustainable? What, where can they look? Where can they find out more? I think the guilt thing is a really interesting area to kind of explore and something that I've talked, we've done a knowledge exchange project with one of the London universities, like a 15-week project, and guilt and kind of desire is something that we've explored quite a lot. And within fashion, that's quite an interesting thing because it's around consumption to make you look or feel in a certain way. So it's not just around consuming to eat, to live. It's kind of something very different. And I think, number one, no one should ever be made to feel guilty by anyone else. So therefore, if that guilt's coming from whether it's news or whether it's government or peers or whatever, then it's how do we address that guilty feeling? And no one's better than anyone else. Someone may have access to more information or someone may have more money to be able to do something. But I think it's just, for me, how I try and look at things is look at what I do in my day and try and understand could I nudge something slightly? Could I change something slightly? For example, what I feel <laughs> quite difficult is I want to support and promote, and I do support and promote emerging designers, for example, yet I don't buy their clothes. And it's because I've got enough clothes in my wardrobe, number one, but also I don't need to buy new stuff but then I want to support them. So there's all these contradictory things happening in life that happen all the time. And it's whether you drive or whether you cycle or whether you want to do certain things that kind of prevent you getting places faster or, or whatever. I think just look at what you do in your life. Don't ever feel guilt around it and try and make small nudges towards something that you feel is more in line with your own values as well. Not everyone has the same values. Like some people, 
some people don't want to eat meat and it's been proven that meat is not great for the environment but some people really really enjoy eating meat but they cycle everywhere you know so it's not a one or the other I don't think. Well the meat thing is interesting isn't it because you look at America or England parts of Europe where we are I think making a considerable effort to eat less meat you know from all the Netflix documentaries you watch the seaspiracies and, and all those it does it should really impact you and you should take heed to the messaging and the reduce your consumption eat healthier less meat is actually too much red meat is bad for you etc cetera, etc cetera. but then the emerging economies are their meat consumption is actually going through the roof because they're getting cheap access to it they're growing in terms of population so that you've got this one thing where the larger and more richer economies are trying to reduce but then the other growing economies, uh, the Brazils, Indias, etc., they are the consumption is going through the roof. So it's also aspirational, isn't it? So we've got to yes. think about what we're heading towards and what other economies want and where we're heading back to as well. You know, arguably the most sustainable thing to do is live off the land and not eat meat and be quite local. And I feel that because of capitalism, in a nutshell, we've been fed a dream that is around consumption, increased consumption, eating as much stuff, eating as much food, whatever you like, whenever you like. And actually now the Western world or the the global north have kind of said that's a bad thing and we need to go the opposite way when still there's other places that are aspiring to what we have been doing, which arguably they were right in the first place. Like we now need to aspire to what they were doing. So it's around switching that kind of aspirational aspect of consumption, I think, is important. Yeah, and I mean, as we sort of get to the end of the conversation, were there any sort of topics around sustainability or things potentially that maybe aren't being addressed with enough purpose right now that you wanted to cover? I mean, (laughs) that could take take another three hours. I think just to give a shout-out to Fashion Roundtable and the recent reports that we've done, actually, One, we've done cleaning up fashion, which looks at all kinds of topics from modern day slavery to quite in-depth topics that perhaps aren't the easiest reads, but it gives a very clear guideline around what we need to do and also how we can support SME businesses and that sort of thing as well. And then we've also recently released a representation and inclusion in the fashion industry paper which actually is almost coming up to three years of work where we've had, we've gathered evidence, parliamentary evidence, oral evidence, surveys, lots of data has gone into that. And we've looked at an economic aspect as well of a less inclusive society. In a nutshell, they're the issues that need to be solved from a sustainability point of view, but from also an equality point of view. And actually a creative, like creative community kind of beautiful world that we want to live in, you know. Just actually released a podcast last night that I haven't shared yet, but the people that I talk to there is all around trying to create a better version of what we're being fed. So ultimately, if we all believe that we're going to walk into like a burning earth, then that's kind of where we're heading, you know, that where the head follows and all that, or the body follows that sentence. So we need to really work on creating a better picture that we want to walk into because otherwise, it's not going to happen, right? We're going to go in the opposite direction. So even though that sounds a bit downbeat, I'm really positive that we can 
shift our kind of focus and our energy towards something that is more beautiful and less worrying. (laughs) That was going to be my next question to end on, on that sort of note, the sentiment for the future and you just answered it. So there's hope. There's hope on the horizon. It requires change. Yeah, I think there is hope, but we've got to be serious about the hope aspect and not try and cling on to historic patterns that have got us into this mess in the first place. We've got to really live in line with our values, really understand what we want for ourselves and humanity and be kinder to each other and ourselves and and move into that better picture. Yeah. And I mean, what, there's 8 billion of us at the moment. It's a a huge mindset shift. And then how many billions are there going to be in a few years' time? The growing population is also the biggest challenge to that. And the ageing population as well. Yeah. There are lots of topics. I mean, I I was, um, (laughs) you know, (laughs) chatting with my daughter and we watched a lot of David Attenborough. She's only five and she gets overwhelmed, you know, Mm -hmm. just watching that because we do have to make big changes if we want to save the world that we have. Yes. So there is hope on the horizon. And thank you so much, Jody, for joining us on this podcast. If you liked what you heard and you want to share it with other people, please do so on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and I always forget the other one, but wherever you get your podcasts, <laughs> um, please subscribe and like and review and hopefully we'll, you'll join us for more episodes. So Jody, thank you again for joining us. It's been wonderful having you. Yeah, no problem. Bye-bye.